Two Towns Over is a podcast where we explore the fascinating world of urban legends, conspiracy theories, and campfire tales to find out if there are any truths behind the legends. With dark humor and natural curiosity, we tackle the darkened streets of the town you all know. Welcome to the town with no name. This is Two Towns Over. Uh, she was watching a documentary about Kimberly Kessler that somebody had done on YouTube. Already? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, the the case is finalized. She's been officially charged, so people yeah. can make content about it Which now. Which one is that? The woman who killed the hairdresser? Jolene. Jolene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was watching a YouTube doc about it, and uh, the guy was mispronouncing all the fucking names. <laughs> like, he, he kept saying, in Yulee, Florida... And uh, in in Fernandina, Florida, Fernandina, <laughs> Fernandina Beach, Florida, what? and uh, oh my, he was God. just using like stock footage, and he was like, Fernandina, Florida is known for its abundant wildlife, and he used like stock footage of seals. What fucking wildlife are we known for? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Cat was like, we had one otter in the bay once. <laughs> There's gators, and I think there's coyote now. But yeah, there's coyotes for sure. What? We do have lots of animals here. There's oh, there's deer, I guess, in Fort Clinch. Small, but... small animals. There's deer all over the place here. Oh, yeah. If you go yeah. down uh, uh, William Burgess. It's actually wild, because where do they go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you understand? Yeah. Like, I know I get where squirrels go. <laughs> I understand yeah. that. Where the fuck are the deer coming from? Because they're in neighborhoods? Yeah. Like... How do, where do they go? Our house, I got home from work one day and my wife was like, I need your help. There's blood on the side of our house. I was like, why is there blood on the side of our house? Apparently there was an injured deer that came out of the woods from behind our neighborhood. What the fuck? And the kids, kids were chasing it down, trying to help it. A deer is a deer. It got skittish and ran and crashed into the side of our house. What? Yeah. And there, it was from where it got injured. There was blood on the side of my house. Jesus. Yeah. And on that note, welcome everybody to Two Towns Over. We actually have a Two two Towns Over episode today. So um, we're going to get going here. I am Don. I'm Ruben. I'm Josh. And uh, we want to go straight from the top. We want to go ahead. We, we, we're we bad boys. Don't. No. Well, actually, yeah, do. Yeah. We're, <laughs> we're naughty boys and didn't call out our Patreons like we promised we would. At naughty the boys end is better, yes. Naughty yeah, boy. naughty boys is definitely the best I'm option. Bad boy. So we just wanted to call them out. We got three. We got Muddy Blairy, which is still an awesome That's name. That's so Brad. good. Yes. I so, hope. Such a good yeah. name. Still an awesome name. Uh, Katie Reitzel, uh, who is our been number, a, one number one fan. Ride or die. Yeah. Katie has been ride or die like since we made the Facebook page. I'm pretty sure she sent us our very first message. I think so. I think yeah. so, yeah. No. Wait. Yeah. Was the first message the Ammons story? I can't remember. I don't remember. I want to say it was Katie. Was it Katie? Pretty right. sure. I could confirm, but we're she's our Annie Wilkes. So if we ever get in a car accident, she's going to be the one to nurse us back to health and break our ankles. I don't know if that's. (laughs) I don't know if that's the kind of relationship I want with (laughs) Katie. And our newest, uh, newest uh, buck. What's it called? Patreon patron is uh, Amanda Galili or Galilee. You're gonna have to say that again. Yeah, she was the one that that made the correction for. Oh, uh, yeah. She clarified the, oh, the Bloody uh, Mary story. Bloody yeah. Mary. Okay, yeah. so Amanda Galilee. 
Uh, hopefully you pronounce your name right. If not, uh, it's my show. So, <laughs> oh yes, thanks for yes. supporting it. By I the just, way, well, yes. I was hoping that the boys were going to be with me on this. <laughs> I don't. Tr- I truly, we have a parasocial relationship, not a true relationship. <laughs> I don't actually give a fuck about you. I do wow. love and appreciate Ruben, your support. Stop, they pay us. Yes. Listen, I love and appreciate their support, but I can't. I don't have room for them in my heart. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's. We love you, and we will shout you out, and when, we when will the absolutely engage off, with you because that's, that's fair, dope. But... but when the microphones are off, I don't, I don't think about this. When they're on, we love you dearly, absolutely. more than our families. Yes. Listen, if you honestly, I feel like the three of these people know that. I mean, we've, <laughs> yeah, no, I, we we yeah. have interacted with them; they get it. Like, but I just, you know, I just want to make it clear that we are. If you are a fan of this show. We reserve the right to feel how the fuck we want. <laughs> You're like Neil Peart from Rush. I don't know what that means. Neil Peart was the drummer for the band Rush. I, ooh, he, I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, he never did. No, it's pronounced Peart. Get it right. Uh, I don't Fucking Philistine. like that. <laughs> did you just call him a Philistine? <laughs> yes, Philistine, I did. of all things. Yes, I did. That's rad. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Neil, <laughs> Neil Peart um, never did meet and greets. Yeah, yeah. He never signed autographs because, no, as far as he was concerned. No, no, no. I mean, I don't, I just thought about signing an autograph and I felt gross. Yeah. (laughs) That's how Neil Peart felt. And uh, in the song Limelight, he wrote about it and the song said, uh, I can't pretend the stranger is a long awaited friend. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm going for. It's like, you guys are strangers. We absolutely, Mm -hmm. like, I truly do appreciate every little bit of support that we get from this podcast because it is amazing that anybody wants to listen to what the fuck I got to say. <laughs> I feel like, the same way. It's awesome. But also, I just want to right up top remind me and you that this is we we're voices on the internet. Like yes, we exist only inside of your phone. Right. Or computer. Or computer, or yeah. Some other you guys listening listen in browsers, device, which is kind of weird, but sometimes your Xbox or your PlayStation 4 or 5, we're not sure. Yeah. Your Alexa. You know what we are sure of? That did not pick up, by the way. Wanted you to know. Damn it. Yeah. Sorry. The... Mm. Boof. I almost yeah. I forget. Um give me just I, I just want to say that everything that Ruben just said um does not go for me because I'm forty seven years old. Time is fleeting. So if you see me in public, give me all the love I can possibly handle because I don't have long to go. Only talk to me if we have something like cool to talk about. Or, like, if you want to talk about Elden Ring, we can definitely talk about Elden Ring. If you see me out in public, I know you don't know what I look like unless you see me on Facebook. But if you see me in public, definitely talk to me about Elden oh, Ring. Oh shit! If you want to, for real though, if you anybody that's a patron wants to start an actual podcast with me about One Piece, <laughs> I fully I am down because none of these guys will do it, and I want it. So bad. I've like spent so long. Episode? I don't know. Fuck oh, the man. no. The anime. The anime is like I like the anime. I'm an anime fan, but uh, the manga is a masterpiece, and I want to go. I want to just basically rip off my favorite One Piece podcast and do it that way. <laughs> oh, and Amanda, if I did mispronounce your name, I was joking. Please correct me. Um, oh yeah, no names are important. Yeah. Let us know for real. Yeah, 
Yeah, names are important. That's where the power comes from. No, that's why I never say just... mine on the on the podcast. Yeah, just ask Jimbo Shrump. It's like I my name is Ruben. Try to spell that. You're wrong, and I hate it. <laughs> it's not your fault. I know that, but still, you can't really go wrong with Don. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. John is the closest name you can get to and have a problem, I think. Yeah. Where it's like, mm, H, yes, no? Question oh, dude, mark. yeah, I have to do it all the time. Like, when I'm at work, I'll be selling someone a prescription, and they're like, last name is Fucklemeyer, first name John. And I'm like, okay, is that John with an H or no H? Yeah. No, I'm good. Thank no, you, though. The best is when I get a phone call, and I'm like, you know, thank you for calling Name deleted. My name is Don. How Redacted. can I help you? Redacted. Sorry. And people are like, oh, hi, Don. My name's Don also. I don't give a fuck. Oh, well, Don, like sometimes with an accent, Google will spell your name for me as the female version, yeah. Dawn, yeah. like the morning. Mm-hmm. I get that. And that is so frustrating for me because it's like, have you never heard of black people or the South? Google, <laughs> come on. <laughs> All right. So we're going to get in because we're already almost nine minutes into the show. We love it. But, you know, you wouldn't listen to us if we didn't do this. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the story of the three finger tap. Which is the urban legend or ghost story? Probably. I don't know what a tap. What is that? A tap. Tap. So, okay, but like, yeah. why three fingers specifically? I'll get to it. All right. So <laughs> too many questions. Yes, too, early. too many questions. And uh, we're gonna follow that up when we're gonna discuss the uh, the actual true crime of uh, the Keddy Cabin murders. Keddy Cabin murders. Keddy California murders. You say so. All right, so Three Finger Tap, that's actually a story that... Kid Kitty! <laughs> that is a story that my cousins and I used to, The cousins were the ones that got me into, like, urban legends. We would tell, like, Hook and Kill, I think I've described this. One of the stories we used to tell was called The Three Finger Tap. Mm-hmm. The concept of the story was this. Two girls are camping out in the woods, and we're not camping, they're in a cabin in the woods. Oh, what? Yeah, your prototypical cabin in the woods. I feel like that's a cinema sense. <laughs> oh, definitely. Except in the movie Cabin in the Woods, where they did that exact trope for that exact reason and made it hilarious. That's actually yeah. a good movie. I, I have seen that movie, that movie, and I actually enjoyed that. Yeah, movie. it's one of my. It's like my all-time favorite, like quote-unquote horror. I was movies. gonna say I like that movie because it does not feel like a horror movie. Right. Yeah. yeah and I love Marty so much. Like <laughs> when I was in high school, Marty was what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> but. Um... So they're they're in the woods, and one of them decides that they need to get more beer, as you do, as you do. So no, you just bring enough in the first place. Well, like you fucking play. They didn't grow up near train tracks, dude. <laughs> Listen, they don't no. know that. M- Mark and I, when we'll go up to uh, his family's cabin in the woods, we'll get a bunch of people. We'll go up there. Why do we, we all have put fucking cabins in the woods? I don't, I don't. It's just it's just a thing. That, that, maybe that's why it's a thing. Is like because it's aesthetic. a thing. That probably sounded awful. <laughs> I'm Pickle Rick. But. <laughs> <laughs> that whole section is going to have to go. <laughs> is it, What's it supposed to be? Like a cat? It's a cat toy. <laughs> it's a pickle cat? Yeah. I, I Pickle cat. Oh, my Anyways. God. <laughs> so, go on. You and Mark and Mark's cabin buy a bunch of something. We literally fill the entire trunk. Like, we have to take multiple vehicles... Simply because there has to be one vehicle which holds all of everybody's shit. It's the beer truck. One vehicle, the entire trunk of which is full of booze. Wow. 
If you do it like my redneck family taught me how to do it. Uh-oh. You got to take one you got it's two pickup trucks. <laughs> okay, big ones like the Dodge, not the little ones. Not yeah. a Tacoma like a fucking Ram or a F150. F150, something big. The, you, long those bed. are three different brands of trucks. But, but they're yeah. all but the Tacoma is the small one. The other ones we've just named are all <clears throat> exactly the same fucking truck at me bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you just take coolers, you put ice in you have one ice cooler. The rest of the say nine coolers mm-hmm. in the back of the truck are full of beer. Yeah. And then there is a second stack of coolers, which are full of both soda and liquor for mixing. And that's how you do it. Because the other pickup truck is for, like, you bring everybody's luggage, then you unpack the luggage, and you use that for joy rides. See, I would just think with you and Mark that you would just finally just go to the Jameson company and find out how much a cask would be. And just get uh, you a can barrel. you can get them. Uh, you can get them online, but the shipping costs way too much for it to be worth it. They're way too heavy. What for fifty five gallons of Jameson? Yeah, but also I'll just I won't drink that much Jameson. We saw Mark could drink a pint and not even <laughs> fucking bat an eye. I I can't I can't do what Mark. Can I do. wonder if we have fans from countries where drinking is like a pride thing. Because, like, America has some of that in its culture, but, like, Ireland, Scotland, Mm -hmm. even England. I was going to say pretty much the whole Europe, mostly, is, like, Russia, all of that. Like, it feels like, I feel like America has such an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, (laughs) but also... Other countries have been doing alcohol for so much longer yeah. that it's worse. America's. A, I'm not going to get into the yeah. Let's, let's get back on. Let's get back on track. So, alcohol, but so one of that's the, part of a Rubens rant yeah. for later, probably. <laughs> one of the women leaves to go to the back to the store to get more beer, and the other one is left behind. That's another title drop. What left behind? Left behind. Oh, sorry. My Christian readers will know what that's about. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? I remember my Those grandma books are reading actually that pretty book. good. They are. They're not mm. bad. Yeah. I enjoyed both. When I was a teenager, I enjoyed both the adult version and the teen version of yeah. those stories. I read all but the last of the adult ones. I didn't read. I read about half of the adult ones. I think. Yeah. So, while she's waiting. Um, <laughs> microphone goes up in flames while she's waiting she turns on the 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 woman who's left behind turns on the radio and like all urban legends the um the music is broken up by a news report saying we have this program to bring you a bulletin a uh killer uh a patient well no he's not hook hand in this one but uh a patient at the local mental hospital has escaped he is missing and considered dangerous please be on the lookout we interrupt your usual broadcast to tell you that there is a new hook-hand killer in the area. There you this go. Is, this is the setup for every axe murder story ever. Exactly. And Rocky Horror. And yeah. also Rocky Horror. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you alone that it's a campy trope. <laughs> so, you know, she starts getting paranoid, so she's waiting and waiting and waiting, and her friend doesn't come back. Pro tip, sorry, I'm so sorry, but pro tip for anybody writing a new, like, horror slasher sort of fic... Not only is it 
so rare for someone to break out of a mental hospital. It's so rare for somebody to want to break out of a mental <laughs> hospital. We are there for a reason. Like, <laughs> well, if you were talking about the the, the criminally insane, criminally the insane, criminally insane, or like the hospitals of the forties, you know, where yeah. they were doing like ice baths and electroshock. This this story I is still... taking place what year? In in. Not told. Mm-hmm. Just... Okay, yeah. So I'm gonna assume it's mental asylum. Yeah, this story go. is taking place in yes. Yeah, yep. Heard. Exactly. This story is taking place. Uh huh. <laughs> but um, so she starts getting more and more worried because her friends just show up and suddenly, up one of the windows, she starts hearing tap, tap, tap. Three finger tap sounds like a dope ass demon or a <laughs> band name. Oh boy, it's uh, it's, it's the hip hop group. Yeah. <laughs> No, they're new metal for sure. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. We are three finger tap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. So then, you know, she's like, what is that? She goes to the window. There's nothing there. And she hears at another window. Tap, tap, tap. She goes to that window. There's nothing there. And this keeps going on and on and on. And finally, she runs outside and she sees a crazed man in a hospital gown holding the severed hand of her friend. And he's tapping on the windows. Tap. Spooky. Yeah, that's the story. Does she? That's what? the whole story. That's the whole story. I'm sorry. You that's don't very campfire. The sto- <laughs> that is very campfire, though. Yeah, You're right. But you don't end the story with they confronted the killer and make up your own tiger or the lady, lady or the tiger. She whoops his ass. Yeah, she, she, <laughs> she got out of the car. She and took that de- hand back him. and she whipped his ass. She oh, and not curled only the that, fingers on the severed hand into a fist and she beat him to death. Not only them. that, not only that, but later her friend walks up like four minutes later and she's like, where's that guy? He said he was going to call the cops because um, I a boulder fell on me and I lost my hand. <laughs> So she kills the guy. He's not actually the Absolutely, because he's just insane. He's just crazy. Like, he, <laughs> he forgot. He was just mute. He was yeah. trying he to explain help, himself. but he couldn't. And they murdered an innocent man. Yes. Okay. Which, you know what? That's fair. I know how it is, ladies. I get it. You cannot trust anyone <laughs> get who walks up to That's you on the, the woods. side of the road. You don't know? Yeah. Uh-uh. All right. So that leads us into this main story of the day, which is the, like I said, the Caddy Cabin Murders. Also called the murders of Cabin Twenty Eight is the Ketty California murders. It's oh, I've heard of it by that name. Yeah, the, the Cabin, Cabin Twenty Eight. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Twenty Eight Cabins Later. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the third in the that's series. The third. <laughs> I was, was going to say that's the sixth movie in the series. <laughs> like, it it all went straight to DVD. No, that would after be like Twenty Eight Squared later. movies later. Oh my like god. That. So on April eleventh, nineteen eighty one, thirty six year old Glenna Sue Sharp. And her 15-year-old son John, his 17-year-old friend Dana, and his 17-year-old friend Dana Wingate were murdered in Cabin 28 at the Ketty Resort in Ketty, California. It was discovered later that 12-year-old Ah, fuck, that was a short story. Now we got a whole episode about murder. Yeah. I figured (laughs) I'd give you a break between haunted houses. Nice. You're not as incredulous. I might be. You don't know. Yeah. Uh, It was discovered later that 12-year-old Tina Sharp was missing. Ah, shit. Her remains surfaced years later. Ah. Sue Sharp and her five children, John, aged 15, Sheila, 14, Tina, 12, Ricky, 10, and Greg, 5, moved from Quincy, California to Ketty, California, and rented Cabin 28 five months before the murders. 
On the evening of April 11th, 1981, Sue had given the okay for Ricky and Greg to have their friend, 12-year-old Justin Eason, over to spend the night. Justin was also relatively new to Ketty. He had been living in Montana with his father, but moved in with his mother and stepfather, Marilyn and Martin Smart, in November of 1980. Now, the Smarts lived in cabin 26. The Sharps and the Smarts. Yes. Don. You want me to go back to 1981 and tell the people, listen, uh, yes. this story is going to be really famous in the future, and this guy I do a podcast with, I know you don't know what a podcast is, but like you guys can't you can't beat the Sharps and the Smarts. Yeah, I You sound like opposing middle school sports teams. <laughs> don't believe either of these families exist, honestly. No, this right is now. a true story. I don't believe you. You don't believe me that this, this true crime happened mm-hmm. because of the names. Yes. I'm okay. just glad we're back to a good old-fashioned, regular-ass murder story. Yeah, nah, I do believe you. I, I just love real, regular I'm just murder real stories. mad. <laughs> you said he wasn't going to be as incredulous. I know. <laughs> and we're only like one paragraph into this actual story, and he's already, I don't believe it. I had to prove Don wrong real quick. Not real. <laughs> Fake news, bitch. <laughs> so the Smarts lived in cabin 26, which was just a short distance from the Sharps cabin. Letting Justin spend the night would not be a problem. I'm just mad because it's going to confuse me, man. <laughs> um, but, it be, uh, but if it became one, Sue knew that she could always send him home. Plus, the house was fairly empty. Sheila had plans to go to a sleepover at a friend's house. Sheila is another of Sue's daughters. Uh, John and his friend, 17-year-old Dana Wingate, were going to Quincy that night, then coming back to hang out in John's bedroom in the basement. Tina which was the 12-year-old, was over in cabin 27 watching TV, but came home around 10 o'clock. The following morning, Sheila Sharp returned home at around 7.45 a.m. As she opened the door, she immediately noticed an offensive odor that seemed to engulf the room. Well, that's oh, not boy. good. Yeah. That's how these always start. I hate offensive odors. The incredibly in these stories specifically, especially when, spoiler alert, right at the top, Tina, the 12-year-old, dies sometime between now and 10 years later or something. Right. When she stepped in the living Offensive room. Offensive smells are always the worst. It's like they walk in and they just start making jokes about women. <laughs> making jokes about what? Women. Oh. Yeah, you know, just really misogynistic jokes. When she stepped They're into the living room. also slightly racist, but like... Not in a way that you can confront, really. They're yeah, just, like, it's mildly... That, that irritatingly, like, man, I know that that's coming from a racial place, but it, it's, it's like, really it's to the point... It's really not worth my health right now to if, deal with, yeah. If I point it out, you're going to call me racist for taking mm-hmm. it there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We've lived in the South for too long. <laughs> yep. When she stepped into the living room, it took her mind a moment to actually comprehend what her eyes were seeing. This, that's not good. Yeah. Um... Her brother, John, appeared to be bound and lying on his back on the living room floor. There was blood caked around his neck and face. Ooh, caked. Yeah. Next to John was a boy, which would be Dana, bound and lying face down. It appeared that the boy and John were tied together at their feet. Her eyes then landed on a yellow blanket that was covering what looked like a body. Gripped by fear, Sheila ran to the neighbors while screaming for help. Now, at cabin 28, when the police arrived, they noted that there was no sign of forced entry. Based on the scene of the crime, Plumas County investigators also determined that it was likely more than one assailant and that the crimes were committed over a period of time. Sue, the mother, was intricately bound by her legs, ankles, and wrists with medical tape and electrical cord, which was knotted so tightly she would have been unable to move. 
The investigation into the murders were initially handled by the Plumas County Sheriff's Office. From the start, the investigation was riddled with errors. I yeah, I was just about to say, I immediately have no faith in the Plumas County <laughs> Sheriff's Department. Oh, no. Yeah, it was riddled with errors and oversights. To begin with... Oh. The crime scene was never properly secured. Oh, no. Yeah. Even... And now, to be fair, in the 80s. Yeah, oh, 81. Well. Yeah. Um, cops, co- all cops did in the 80s was cocaine. <laughs> all anyone did in the 80s was cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> Hell, I was. By design. <laughs> in 81, I was six years old. I was doing cocaine. Don knows what's up. Yeah. My mom was doing cocaine in the 80s. <laughs> mine like, too. You know? Yeah, mine too. We called it Pixie Sticks, but we knew what it was. Is that what? <laughs> yes. That's why my it mom was makes Pixie Sticks jokes sometimes. <laughs> oh I was my like, God. what the fuck? <laughs> if you guys didn't know this, I don't know shit about drugs. No. Bullshit. I don't know nothing about no drugs. <laughs> So even more astounding was the amount of time that it took the, for the police to realize that Tina Sharp was missing. No fucking way. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. They didn't realize it until later. Like hours later that she was missing. You'd think okay, that, that hold on, a coked hold on, up hold cop on. could at least show up and be <laughs> hours, like, can we do a head count? Hours I will grant. Okay. Because like... There's like there's a lot like a, going on. There's a lot going on, and like maybe she was hiding or like ran into a neighbor's house or something. Mm. Like there's a lot of shit you got to check before you can definitively say someone is missing. Although well, depending on the amount of hours, I am still skeptical. The next sentence is basically going to make that argument moot, motherfucker. <laughs> when the first, I tried, yeah. cops, and you don't even deserve that. <laughs> When the first police officers arrived at the scene, Justin Easton, which was one of the boys, now we're going to get to that, one of the boys that was spending the night at yeah, the yeah. cabin, uh, tried to tell them that Tina was missing. Motherfuck! God damn it. But they ignored what the boy was saying. Mother it's fuck. just too much cocaine. <laughs> it's too much cocaine. It was Honestly, in my opinion, that's any amount of cocaine, but you know? <laughs> I don't like anything that makes you hyper. I don't like uppers, yeah. Yeah. Huh. No. If you have ADHD, they don't really make I you hyper. ADHD. They just kind of focus you. Yeah. It's not so much that it's hyper either. It's hyper aware. See, no, I don't want to be hyper aware. Yeah, I deal with that a lot already. Because yeah. so. I play really fast-paced video games, and I'm like, I need to fucking focus. <laughs> no. oh, you might not. Do you have ADHD? Yeah. Okay, well, he- never mind. <laughs> I was going to say, you might not, because I have the hyper-focus... ADHD. Well, so, like, see, I do that that's the thing, it. though, is like when I don't, I don't take uppers anymore. But when I did, like in in high school and stuff, late late high school, after high school, I was re, I, I really liked stimulants. I never did anything really heavy, like crack or uh, meth or anything. But I did a is lot a of. Stimulant? Yeah, yeah, it is. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Which one's the one that I always think is a stimulant, but it's actually a not that it's heroin That's no yeah heroin is a massive depressant yeah 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 um yeah no i I spent a lot of time on drug forums i did my research but i i would take a lot of adderall or i would do a little bit of coke and i would just hardcore focus on like a really fast paced like like a online shooter like i've always been a big fan of overwatch and there will be a million things going on in a six versus six online shooter and like 
I know where everyone is. <laughs> I know exactly where they are. I know that it's been six seconds since he used his ability, so he's going to have it back in four seconds. That, like, I, I get so aware, and I'm like, I am a god among you people. That, I would hate that feeling. <laughs> I would hate that feeling so much. <laughs> Oh my God! Is that what normal people think? Like no, no. okay, good. Because no. I, no, I'm, ooh. yeah, <laughs> that's just me. shit. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly sounds terrifying. <laughs> so the murders had been notably violent. Investigators, I were... don't like notably violent. Even no. among murders, Even which among are, is murders. one of the most notably violent things a person can do. <laughs> Investigators recalled about an hour after Sheila had discovered her slain family. Deputy Hank Clement was the first to arrive on the scene, and he reported blood everywhere. On the walls, the bottoms of the Jesus victim's shoes, Christ. Sue's bare feet, the bedding in Tina's room, the furniture, the ceiling, the doors, and the back steps. Damn, I was just about to say, I've seen a lot of crime scene photos where people say that there was blood on everything, and mm-hmm. I'm like, that's just not that much blood. But if it's on the ceiling, <laughs> yeah. there's blood everywhere. That's everywhere. That's everywhere. <laughs> that's like, if you, if there, okay, listen, Josh is right. If there is blood on the ceiling, I don't need to check the rest of the house because I know it's everywhere. covered in yes. shit. Like, yes. ooh. If it doesn't look like a scene out of Dexter, then there's not blood everywhere. This sounds like it looked like a scene out of Dexter. Yeah. <laughs> so the prevalence of blood suggested to investigators that the victims had been moved and rearranged from the positions in which they were murdered. Investigators found two kitchen knives, one that had been used with such force that the blade was severely bent, What kind of monster? Like, what kind of? That's rage. Yeah. Yeah. Why? If you if you hurt the knife, (laughs) that's rage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What the fuck? And they made knives better. Did they solve this? Because I I need to know now whether they solved it or not. I need to set my expectations. Um. Even years later, I will accept. They think they have. Okay, that's but, good enough. Okay. There's going to be a twist ending. Of course there's going to be a twist ending. It's our podcast. <laughs> also found was a hammer, a pellet gun, and a pellet on the living room floor, which led investigators to believe that the pellet gun was also used in the attacks. <clears throat> I mean, that just, like, stings a yeah, little bit. That's just petty. But it yeah. could be used also as, like, just Although a I, weapon. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, true. on little kids, like a pellet gun, especially even if it's plastic, that can... Do serious harm to like a child. Yeah, well, again, this was the 80s before people knew about safety. That's so pellet guns were a lot stronger. That's what I'm saying. That and also back in the day, you know, pellet guns didn't have the orange on the yeah the, yeah the barrel. Mm-hmm. So it looked like a real gun. It could have literally just been used for intimidation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was one pellet on the ground. Yeah. I hope he was like trying to intimidate them with it and he accidentally <laughs> shot it and it just went... Just that that really that really quiet little snap sound that pellet guns make. Yeah, and they were like, "Is that a pellet gun? <laughs> That's a fucking pellet gun, isn't it, dude? Come on, you can't even break the skin with that." So John, in the eighties, you definitely can. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'll especially even if you did like ten pumps. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I forgot they used to work like that. Mm-hmm. The more you pumped, the stronger it got. Uh huh. Mm. So John, Put your eye out, kid. I had to. <laughs> yes. So John was closest to the front door, face up, his hands blood-covered and bound with medical tape. That's the dad of the no, sleepover family? No, that's the 15-year-old boy. Okay. Ah. Wow. Yeah. So we have a, how many bodies? 
there's uh eventually there's four. Okay. But in this room there's three. There's the four, 15-year-old John mm-hmm. Sharp, his friend, his 17-year-old friend Dana Wingate and yep. Sue Sharp. Okay. Okay. Those are the three bodies. Which one is Sue? Sue is the mother, the 31-year-old mother. Got it. And then the... the... Then Tina's the one that's missing. Right. Okay. Okay. So um, his friend Dana was on the floor beside him on his stomach. His head was badly damaged as though bashed in with a blunt object and lay partially on a pillow. Good God. He had been manually strangled. His ankles were tied with electrical wire, which was also wound around John's ankles so that the two were connected. Sheila's mother, Sheila was the daughter that found him, had been covered partially with a blanket, though that had been done, that had done little to hide her gruesome injuries. On her left side, the mother of five was naked from the waist down, tightly gagged with a bandana and her own underwear secured with medical tape. She had injuries consistent with a struggle and had an imprint of the butt of an 880, .880 pellet gun on the side of her head. Yeah, so just used it as intimidation and right. as a... One object. Like her son. It is wild how the description of this is putting a picture of a crime in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so mad. (laughs) Because, like, even I'm putting together the timeline, and I'm not happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like her son, her throat had been cut. The underwear and bandana were held in place with an extension cord that was also tied around her legs and ankles. Both Sue and John Sharp had been beaten with a claw hammer and stabbed multiple times in their bodies and throat. Dana Wingate had also been beaten, but with a different hammer. He had been strangled to death. In addition to the blood on the living room floor, there were drops of blood found on Tina's bed. The investigation pointed to rape as the motivation behind kidnapping Tina instead of murdering her in the home with the others. More evidence found included a bloody footprint that was discovered in the yard and knife marks in some of the walls of the home. So they even went after the walls. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Detectives did recover an unidentified fingerprint from a handrail on the back stairs. The cabin's telephone had been left off the hook, and all of the lights had been shut off as well as the drapes closed. Jesus Christ. This was premeditated. Mm. Oh, yeah. While the brutal attacks inside Cabin 28 were going on, Sue's son, Ricky, and Greg, and their friend Justin Eason were sleeping undisturbed in the boys' room. God, what? Yeah. I'm That's a not, heavy sleeper, but God That damn. is not that uncommon. That's not that uncommon. Especially with kids. Yeah, like, like people sleep through fires and yeah. all kinds of shit. Like, you know, especially like you said, a kid, because a kid's body is like harder on them than ours as far as yeah. controlling their impulses and yeah. stuff. So, like, if their body is being like, this is sleep time, yeah. it's fucking sleep time. Yeah. My brother, when he was probably about the same age. Which is 12. somewhat of a blessing, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Especially yeah. when we hear about it on our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> right. He was like 12 or 13, and we went to a laser light show, Pink Floyd uh-huh. laser light show. And the theater, that, or the planetarium that we went to back in my hometown, well, anyways, uh, it had a 4,000-watt sound system. I mean, it was pumping. Uh-huh. And he fell asleep in the middle of it. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it's possible. Kids can sleep through a lot. Mm-hmm. So Especially um, to, I feel like there might have been some smoke in the air. <laughs> Pink Floyd show. Eh. So the boys were found, <clears throat> the boys were found unharmed in the room the following morning after the murders. 
A woman and her boyfriend, who were in the cabin next door to the Sharps' cabin, were woken up at around 1.30 a.m. by what they described as muffled screams. The sound was so disturbing that the couple got up and looked around. Uh, when they were unable to determine what the screams were coming from, they went back to bed. Bitch, like, what? Yeah, like you do. Yeah, You hear something screaming? Nah. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> it... <sighs> If you hear muffled screams at a cabin campsite, you can't identify where the screams are coming from. Do you know what the fucking first thing you should do is? What? You should go to the cab. And this is the 80s. Phones yeah. exist. <laughs> Apparently, there's phones in each cabin. Yeah. Call the goddamn cops. <laughs> yeah, but it was 1.30 in the morning. They Fuck were- that. <laughs> Tired. Boo. Nine one one. Yes. Hello. What's your emergency? I am at such and such a campsite. I'm in this cabin. I hear unidentified screams coming from somewhere close. Probably come check it out. Bye. Click. And then go to you sleep. go back to bed. Yeah. Like go back to bed. <laughs> Thirty five seconds. That takes less time than it would take you to pee and go back to bed. In fact, go pee but and no, go back to bed. But see, you do that, then nine one one asks you where are you located. That's why I said I'm at such and such a campground in such and such a cabin. It's not that one. That's a different <laughs> one. Go there. Now it seems impossible that screams woke the neighbors but did not disturb the boys that were in the same house where the screams originated. Also perplexing is why the killers chose not to harm the boys when any one of them could have been pretending to be asleep and later identified them. The Plumers County Sheriff's Office questioned anyone they could that who could have heard or witnessed something that could have helped solve the case. Among those that they interviewed were the Sharps' neighbors, Justin Easton's stepfather, Martin Smart. What he told investigators ended up making him a prime suspect in the case. No fucking way. That's like 90% of what cops in the 80s did was just question people. Yeah. That was all they did. They they did cocaine and questioning possible witnesses. Hey, I got I got I got a thing that you might enjoy, Josh. I don't think much has changed. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, no. The, there are forensic departments now. Yeah. They, I think the they forensic departments to... mostly do cocaine and question people <laughs> is what I'm saying. What's the old John Mulaney thing? Crimes in the, you know, that man was killed. Mm, gross. I yep. have a hunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. It's all hunches to them. Like, I have a hunch that it was the neighbor. I have a hunch that it was the neighbor as well. Let's go question the neighbors. Do you have any cocaine? Crime solving in the 80s was basically what I do on this podcast every fucking episode. Yeah, yeah pretty much. No, you, you would have been a better cop in the 80s. I would have been cop in the 80s. <laughs> I would have been fucking Sergeant Maynard. You guys can fuck right off. So according to Smart, on the night of the murders, a friend of his by the name of Severin John Bo Bobody was staying... Bobody. <laughs> Boobity, bobbity, bibbity. Boobity, bobbity, you bibbity. Can't, you can't. Yeah, no. <laughs> you want me to believe this is real? <laughs> the man, okay, I'm going to spell it. You tell me how it should be pronounced. B-O-U-B-E-D-E. Boobity. 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 He was named Bo, so I'm assuming the first part is Bo. Yeah, no, when that's your name, you definitely it go by Bo. It could be Bo Bed, we're just going to call him Bo. He's not real. Okay. Hey, Bo, buddy, get over here. Bring me the cocaine. <laughs> so he, That explains it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so What's his, your name? Bo, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Bo was staying with the Smarts on a temporary basis. He said he and Bo first met a few weeks earlier at the Veterans Administration Hospital, where they were both receiving treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Smart claimed he suffered from PTSD as a result of his time fighting, spent fighting in Vietnam. He went on to say that early in the evening of April 11th, he, his wife Marilyn, and Bo decided to go to the backdoor bar for a few drinks. Smart worked as a, che- uh, a chef at the backdoor bar, but it was his night off. On the way to the bar, the group stopped in on Sue Sharp and asked her if she wanted to join them for drinks. She told them no, so they left for the bar. At the bar, Smart complained angrily to the manager about the music that was playing. They left shortly afterward and went back to the Smart's cabin. Marilyn watched television and then went to bed. Smart, you can't let it go, still angry about the music, called the manager and complained again. He and Bo then went back to the bar for more drinks. Yeah. I hate your fucking music. Can I get a rum and coke? Yeah. <laughs> This music fucking sucks, dude. Uh, can I see a drink menu also, <laughs> by the way? Thank you. Wild. <laughs> so thinking that they now had a prime suspect, the Plumas County Sheriff contacted the Department of Justice in Sacramento. How does that make him a prime suspect? Because he was at the house at night sometime? Well. He was drinking. He was um, drinking. They, he he knew was Sue. angry already. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So thinking they now had a prime suspect, like I said. Okay, I'm sorry. I already got confused. Smart is and the guy that right. we're talking about right now. Right. Sharp is the woman the that was killed. Woman that was killed. What was the kid who was staying over his last name? Justin. Uh, Hold on. A third last name is all that matters. Yeah, it's a third yeah. last name. Okay. We'll just call him Justin. Just sure, sure, out. sure. Just trying to keep so, shit straight. That's all. Two- and Bobody is with Smart right now. Right. And who was the other guy? It was Marilyn. <laughs> Marilyn. Uh, Smart's girlfriend. Smart. Okay. Got yeah. It. Okay. So two DOJ investigators, Harry Bradley and P.A. Krim. Con- no. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> it cannot be. I love how focused you are on names. Almost every episode, it's either so a good, great though. name or, or it's a terrible, because, terrible name. Because you said this was a true story, which I am still forced to believe. <laughs> and yet, we first we start with the smarts and the sharps, which, you know what? Those are two pretty normal last names. It's just confusing for me. When they're together. When they're together. Right. It's a little weird. Then we go to... Fucking Bobity, some shit. <laughs> and now it's PA Krim. Yes. This is a Monkey Island game. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's randomly generated Sims names. That's close. <laughs> What's the one? It's a Sierra game, is what it is. Do you know what I'm talking no, about? I King's don't. Quest and Larry's Leisure Shoot Larry. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. P.A. Krim, get the fuck out of my life. Which what? sounds like Sim speak. P.A. Krim. <laughs> so they conducted additional interviews on Martin. I haven't played enough Sims to get that joke. Bobbity. But, like, it's funny. Bobbity does sound like, yeah, <laughs> it's the Sims. Bobbity. P.A. Krim. So they conducted additional interviews on Martin and Marilyn Smart and Bobbity. During the interview <laughs> with Marilyn, she told the investigators that she and Martin separated the day after the murders. She said that he was short-tempered, violent, and abusive. 
After the interviews with the Smarts and Bobity were completed and Martin was polygraphed, the DOJ investigators decided that none of them were involved with the murders. Marilyn Smart was interviewed again at a later date. She told investigators that Martin Smart hated John Sharp, which was the 15-year-old boy. Uh-huh. She also admitted Wait, that... he was how old? 15. Oh, Sharp or Smart? Yeah. Uh, didn't say. Old enough to drink? Old enough to be in, in Vietnam in the 80s. So probably in his late 40s. Um, I mean, that's... How are you going to be a grown man and you hate a 15-year-old? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't get to be a grown man and like have such strong feelings about a fifteen. Are you living girl. in an anime? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't so, think so. She also admitted that earlier in the morning of April twelfth, she saw Martin burning something in the fireplace that was the day after the murders. As time went on Boy, this man is suspicious as fuck. Yeah. As time went I on I was willing to be like, okay, I get it. Vietnam, terrible war. PTSD, drinking. I don't know, Get I a little like angry at a bar manager. Cool, cool, cool. Sure, got it, got it. But burning some shit, your wife or slash girlfriend or whatever is like, nah, we split up day after because <laughs> motherfucker was acting suspicious fuck. Like, I'm not on your side anymore, dude. Oh, no, I'm not on his side at all. I don't think he did it, though. So, um... As time went on, Justin Eason, which was the little boy, uh-huh. began to change his story. He had told the investigators that he was... Justin a, Eason is... The, that's the, the third well, Yeah, that's yeah, the, the third name. Son of, no, not the third man. Third was, name. Name. Yeah, third yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, He's the stepson of... The, um, Martin sm- Smart. Smart. Yes. So um, Okay, that's why I was confused, because yeah. I was like, how is Smart in here, but the kid? it's his kid, but it's not... And I was... I was just confused because right. there's Step too up. many names. Uh, now, I I, now I understand why he hates him. He had told the investigators that he was asleep during the murders. Wait, 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 wait. Because he's stepson, right? No, no, no. That's no? John no, no. Sharp. He hates the f- John Sharp. Oh, okay. The 15-year-old for some reason. For everybody involved, we'll put out some kind of We, we need a family a tree. We need <laughs> a family <laughs> tree. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm a visual just... learner. I, well, yeah, that's true. I gotta be able to look at this many names. That's why I get confused every week whenever there's like more than four names. I can usually keep it straight, but I cannot. So, when I read things, like I just assume that the author knows what's happening, and I will catch up. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he had told the investigators he was asleep during the murders, as were the other two boys, and that he did not hear anything. In a later interview, he described in detail a dream that he had where he was on a boat and saw John Sharp and Dana fighting with a man with long black hair, a mustache and black glasses, who was carrying a hammer. The Raven King. <laughs> uh, that's that's the guy wearing the trench coat in the neighborhood watch signs. That's the only joke I get to make about this man, so it had to count. <laughs> yeah. The man threw John overboard, and then Dana, who he said was very drunk. He went on to describe seeing a body that was covered in a sheet lying on, on the bow. He looked under the sheet and saw Sue, who had a knife cut in her chest. He tried to help her by patching the wound with a rag, which he ended up throwing into the water. In reality, Sue Sharp did have a knife wound in her chest. Another time, while he was being polygraphed, the boy told the polygrapher that he thought that he saw the murders. He said that a noise woke him up and that he got up and looked through the door into the living room. He said he saw Sue Sharp lying on the sofa and that there were two men standing in the middle of the room. He described the men, one with black hair and dark glasses, 
the other with brown hair and wearing army boots. John Sharp and Dana came into the room and began arguing with the two men. A fight broke out, and Dana tried to escape out through the kitchen, but the man with the brown hair hit him with a hammer. John was being attacked by the man with the black hair, and Sue tried to help John. Justin said at this point he hid behind the door. He then saw the men tying up John and Dana. He also claimed that he saw Tina, this is the missing girl, come into the living room holding a blanket and asking what was going on. The two men grabbed her and took her out of the back door as Tina tried to call for help. Then where did the blood on her bed come from? Yeah. See? But this is, this is what This is the, like a kid. I get it. Yeah. But like... So. Well, and it's cops in the 80s that I feel like are probably trying to put Leading. their own narrative yeah. into yeah. it. Yeah. So um, he said that the men with the black hair used a pocket knife to cut Sue in the middle of her chest. Justin worked with a sketch artist and came up with composites of the two men. Sketch artists don't fucking work. I just want y'all to know we've known that since this time. It was the 80s when we figured that out. <laughs> so on June 4th, 1981, so we're now two months removed, investigators Bradley and Krim interviewed a man who lived in cabin 28. <laughs> I was hoping to get past it. <laughs> Never. So they interviewed a man who had lived Bradley in Bradley and Krim is Statler and Waldorf cousins. <laughs> okay. So they interviewed a man who had moved who who had lived in Cabin 28 but moved 2 weeks before the murders. He said he did not know the Sharps, but that 3 weeks before the murders, he heard Sue Sharp and an unknown unknown man yelling at each other. They continued to fight for another 30 minutes, screaming obscenities back and forth at each other. When details of the interviews that Bradley and Krim had conducted with Martin Smart and Bobity came to light. The Plumas County authorities were livid. I can't help the names, man. All the names. They're so bad. (laughs) They're really bad. They're very (laughs) bad. So when that came to light, the Plumas County authorities were livid. Bradley and Krim were accused of sloppy work and failing to fact check or to pursue clarification for obvious discrepancies made by Smart and Bobity. During the initial interview with Krim, Bobity said that he had worked as a Chicago police officer for 18 years, but retired after being shot while in the line of duty. This was an obvious lie, which could have quickly been spotted had Krim paid attention to Bobity's date of birth. Oh my god. <laughs> I was just about to ask how old this man was. Yeah. Not old enough to be a police officer for 18 years. That's what I was just about to be like, um, no. So Bobity... Minimum 36. Yeah. Minimum. Mm -hmm. So Bobity lied about how long he had lived in Ketty by adding two weeks to the time. He said Marilyn was his niece, which was also a lie. Marilyn was... This is Bobity. Bobity. Yeah. He claimed Marilyn was awake when he and Smart came home after their second trip to the bar. Had anyone been paying attention, which was um, they would have caught that it con- they would have caught that it contracted what Marilyn said or contradicted what Marilyn said, which was that she was asleep when the two men came home. Bobity said he never met Sue Sharp, which contradicted what Marilyn said about the three of them stopping at the Sharp house and inviting her for a drink. Bradley and Krim showed a similar lack of energy when interviewing Martin Smart. In one interview, Smart said that his stepson Justin Eason might have seen something the night of the murders, adding, without me detecting him, at the end of the sentence. 
Yeah, well, that's not incriminating at all. No, not at all. That's just a really weird way to phrase that, too, without me detecting him. Yeah. But they didn't catch that. Really? Really. It's the cocaine. It's (laughs) got to be the cocaine. It makes you hyper-focused on the wrong thing. Absolutely. (laughs) It has to be... You you beat all of Borderlands 2 in one sitting instead of doing your homework. <laughs> so the investigators either I've missed... I've done that. I have definitely done that. <laughs> they either missed the implications... Excuse, damn it. Taco Bell. Sorry. They either missed <laughs> the investigators... Give us money. <laughs> either missed the implications of Smart's slip-up or they weren't listening. Smart talked to the investigators about the hammers that were used in the murder, adding that he had recently lost his own hammer. There were no follow-up interviews with Smart or Bobity since the investigators believed that the pair were not involved in the murders. Josh, you said he, you don't think he did it earlier? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I can be wrong about stuff I was, was going to be like, do you know more about this story than I do? Cause... <laughs> no. <laughs> no longer a prime suspect. What? what? <laughs> yeah, because the DOJ wrapped it up. Said, no. Get the... F- <laughs> Martin Smart moved to Klamath, California. Bobody returned to Chicago where he scammed several police officers out of money, was oh caught God. was caught in almost did prison time, but died before incar- being incarcerated. <laughs> and That's the life I think he probably deserved. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So in 1984, the cranium part of a skull was found about 30 miles from Ketty. Four years later? Yeah. Several months later, an anonymous caller told the Butte County Sheriff's Office that the skull belonged to Tina Sharp. Another search of the area... An anonymous caller? Yes. Mm -hmm. You don't let them stay anonymous anymore, then. Yeah. Another search of the area was made... figure it out. And a jawbone and several other bones were found. Testing confirmed that the bones belonged to Tina Sharp. How the fuck did anonymous caller know that? Yeah, exactly. The Butte County Sheriff's Office gave the original and the backup copy of the recording from the anonymous caller to someone in law enforcement. Oh, good. Since then, both the original and the backup copies have disappeared. Fucking naturally. <laughs> Martin Smart died in the year 2000. Now, keep in mind that this article that I'm, I'm, I've got this from is before the end. The end, there has been updated stuff. Oh, so good. Keep that up. Okay. So Martin Smart died in 2000, and not long after his death, his therapist told the Plumas County Sheriff's Office that Smart had confessed to him that he killed Sue Sharp because she was trying to convince Marilyn to leave him. What? Yes. Yo, hey, I know for a fact that you're supposed to tell the police about some shit like that. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely legally... Be- she should- yeah. Did she lose her job? It doesn't say. She should have. Both legally and morally. <laughs> So, um, Smart never mentioned who killed John, Dana, or Tina. He also told the therapist that it was easy to beat the polygraph and that he and the Plumas County Sheriff, Doug Thomas, were friends. Again, we've Uh, known polygraphs don't work since they were invented. Yeah, the guy who invented them was like, eh, these are kind of shaky. Not only that, but he was like, after testing, he was like, actually, shaky's not even going to cover it, guys. (laughs) Like... On March 24th, 2016, a hammer was found that matched the description of the hammer that Marty Smart claimed he was missing for two days after the murders. According to Plumas County Sheriff Hagwood, the location it was found... Fa- <laughs> what? Nothing. Okay, I thought the name threw you again. No. Okay. 
It uh, didn't even touch me until you mentioned it, and now I realize you said Hagwood. Yes. That's a witch. <laughs> That's definitely, that. that is an immortal witch. So she, is this a he, he or a she? It's a he. It's a he. This yeah. he might be a good witch or a bad witch. We don't know yet. <laughs> the location it was found. This is Sheriff Hagward talking about the hammer. Uh, it would have been intentionally put there. It would not have been accidentally misplaced. Celia Sharp, who found the bodies that April morning in 1981, has never stopped trying to find her mother, sister, and brother's killers. A new investigator of the crime, Sheriff Greg Hagwood, was schoolmates with Johnny and Dana before their deaths. He reopened the case, and recently new evidence has come to light. In 2013, authorities discovered a letter that Marty Smart wrote to his wife after she left him. In it, he says that he paid the price of his ex-wife's love and bought it with four people's lives. Mm-hmm. Because the Kenny... Or, uh, as the Midwesterners would say, this did take place in the Midwest, yes? No, California. Fuck me, never mind. I was going to say oofa doofa. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> so, because the Kenny cabin has been unsolved for so long... I guess I should say Mondo Bummer. Is that how they Mondo still talk? Bummer, Mondo yeah. Bummer, This dude. was the 80s. Uh, yeah. No, this was in 2013. So it would have been more like, oh, fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people had finally like just started openly saying fuck all the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so because the Keddy Cabin case has, has been unsolved for so long, it has generated a number of conspiracy theories. Marty Smart was close friends with the local sheriff, and skeptics suggest that authorities worked to conceal Smart's involvement in the crime. That would explain why they put... What, what did you say their name was? Brady and Krim or yeah. some shit? Bradshaw and Krim? <laughs> Bradley and Krim. Bradley and Krim. A.J. Krim. A- P.A. Krim, I P.A. Believe. Krim, I'm sorry. Um, A.J. Krim would have been acceptable somehow. Yeah, it would have been P more acceptable than wrong. P.A. Krim, yeah. Later investigations. Personal assistant Krim? <laughs> Philip Alexander Krim? Ooh, no, that actually That's sounds actually really good. That's actually a good name. yeah. yeah. Write that down for D and D. It's got to be more like <laughs> potbelly asshole crim, like because <laughs> otherwise, why would you call yourself PA crim? So later investigations show that the police work on the case was wrought with error, and that authorities didn't follow every lead. No way. Additionally, not all evidence was properly documented, such as Smart's letter to Marilyn and the nine one one recording. Organized crime unit officials came to the crime scene, which added fuel to the conspiracy theory fire. People speculate that perhaps Bobity killed Sue for a mob-related reason, given his connection to the Chicago and Vegas mafias. No. Yeah, no. I don't. That's think just that's... people finding something out and trying to make the story more interesting. Yeah. Than I it think is. maybe it's more like if Bobity had connections to the mob, then he probably helped a man. He helped convince a man to kill his problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's if it's any mob connection at all, then I think it's uh trying to cover up the crime for the sake oh, of it not being connected. You hate this fifteen year old to... boy and your wife is gonna leave you because of that fifteen year old boy's mom. Well guess right. what, bud? We could just go kill him. Right. Yeah. Like Hey, buddy, don't worry. If, if you're it'll friends solve with a the problem cops for you, and I'm we'll friends with it. the mob, we got it down. Right. Like Yeah. I did an incredulous look at Don like I could transmit that over <laughs> radio waves, but I can't. That's and the even then, you're it's get not radio waves. That. It's really just digital uh, zeros and ones. Zeros and ones, just files. Yep. 
So this might explain why the Sacramento Department of Justice sent two allegedly corrupt organized crime special agents instead of agents from the homicide department. It also provides an explanation as to why the two lead suspects were seemingly given a free pass and told to leave town by Sheriff Thomas. Furthermore, it suggests an answer as to why this case was handled so sloppily, sloppily, remains unsolved, and is seemingly not a priority to the Sacramento Department of Justice. Another favored accomplice is D. Lake, who like Damn. who lived at the address that made the phone call to police about Tina's skull fragment. That's another good one. D. Lake. D. Lake. Yeah. I, I think, for some reason, I think I rapper, mean, that's... 80s rapper. Pretty normal. Yeah. D Lake like like D E E or D yeah, with a dot. D E E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D Lake sounds like just uh, like I was, a black I was lady. thinking D with a dot, and I was coming up with all sorts of really immature jokes about what the D stood for. All I think all I can think of is D nice. <laughs> Take yourself down to O'Shack Hennessy's office. <laughs> I love that episode. Um, so D Lake lived at the address that made the phone call to police about Tina's skull fragment. Lake was also a former vet like Smart and reportedly drove his buddy to Reno following Smart's split with Marilyn. As of 2017, so this person like he knew Martin Smart knew about it, yeah, and or found out about it, Mm -hmm. and okay, yeah. So as of 2017, Plumas County where Keddy is located, is home to less than 19,000 people. Again, Kid Keddy. <laughs> it's home to less than 19,000 people, and the mark the Sharp family's murders left on the community is massive. The Keddy cabins were originally meant for low-income families, and the killings made people afraid for their already difficult lives. What was once a pleasant place to live became a news reporter and rumor-filled nightmare. Stories circulated that Sharps knew the killer, which reportedly bred distrust among neighbors. One other family lived in the cabin after the homicides, but when they left, the property was completely abandoned. In 2004, Cabin 28 was leveled as the Sierra Nevada community tried to move forward from the brutality that occurred there. Only approximately 79 households still live in Keddy, according to a 2017 census. Wow. Wow. The only thing that is known about this case is that this 41-year-old crime is far from a cold case as new evidence sheds light on what may have occurred at Cabin 28 in Caddy, California. Although both Martin Smart and Bo Bobody are now deceased, new DNA evidence has... N- po- wait. What? You, I thought that Bobody, like Bo was short for I thought Bo was Bobody. short for Bobody too, but, you're but no, telling his name me is that his Bo Bobody. Bo, well, no, it was, some, it was like Severin John, question, quotation mark, Bo Oh, okay, Bobody. I got you. Yeah. Okay. And it just depends on which article people would call him Bo. But yeah, I he was you. called Bo was short for Bo. Because Bo Bobody is just an anime. I don't know if you knew <laughs> this, but there's an anime called Bo 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 Bo. Okay. Wow. It's about a man who is fighting for the right of all people to have hair, I think. <laughs> that sounds about right. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, no, I didn't watch it because I was like, damn, this show's called Bo 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 Bo. And I'm it was not going to watch bad. it. Bo 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 boneless buffalo wings. Okay, so that's close to the theme song. Actually, you would... <laughs> yeah. So oh, although both Martin Smart and Bo Bobity are now deceased, Bo 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 Bobity, <laughs> new DNA evidence has pointed investigators <laughs> to other suspects who may have had a hand in these murders and who are still alive. No, you know, way. At least Bobity's legacy 
is now being made fun of on true crime podcasts. We yes. like we do like that. Yeah. There's some small measure of karma in that probably. <laughs> I just a, just a karma. bit. Yeah, like So the, the thing is like people say you die twice. Yeah. You you die when your physical body dies and you die again the last time anybody ever thinks of you. Right. Well, it's he died quite some time ago and he hasn't died his second death yet purely because He's so stupid, and his name is so funny. <laughs> I think I would posit a third and worse kind of death. Yeah? Yeah. So the first time you die, everybody does that one. The second time you die is the or you know, the last time you die is the one where, you know, the last person who remembers you or your uh-huh. name is gone. I would posit that a third and worse way to die is... Your legacy dies, but your name lives on as a joke. Yeah. Oh, true. Yeah. That I think is um, a humiliating second death. That's yeah. like that's hell. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad I could be a little piece of hell for this man. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we can bring this man hell right here on two towns. And people over. say I'm not spiritual. <laughs> so this is Sheriff Hatwood, the new sheriff, Sheriff Hagwood speaking. It is my belief that there were more than two people who were involved in the totality of the crime, the disposal of the evidence and the abduction of the little girl. We're convinced that there are a handful of people that fit these roles who are still alive today. So that takes us out of the story. So it's still unsolved. Technically. Yeah. In in the same way that the babysitter murders unsolved players. Yeah. And again, mob connection. He probably had a bunch of toughs or like a few, connections or something that they used mm-hmm. like i i bet that is what it was and we're never going to catch those people probably if they're not already dead which yeah according to this the suspects that they have yeah. are so bobody and bobody and smart are dead well i yeah. guess this article was like what 2017 or something yeah so it's been a few years yeah um but with that we'll wrap up this episode it's a little short one Little, you know, little. That quick, was pretty straightforward. Yeah, you know, yeah. Little, little palate cleanser. It's a, it's a true crime case. Yeah. Which I, I love when we just talk straight true crime because yeah. it's so much fun to make fun of bad cops. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, it makes it even more relieving when you get a case where, and you don't hear about them as much, especially on shows like this, because they're not as interesting when you have like some legitimate genius detective that's like actually on top of shit yeah we we don't get to talk about that case because the genius detective just fucking dealt with it yeah he's <laughs> that's the one you go to like the feel good podcast yeah yeah where you're like <laughs> this is a time when it's also kind of a little bit of propaganda but still this yeah, is a right. time when a detective did the right thing and that show's called law and order yeah right <laughs> like go watch law and order if that's what you're looking for Dun-dun. We only well, we don't fuck with cops here on this show, <laughs> but we do only fuck with stories about cops who are kind of, sort of bad at their jobs. Yeah, right. Because otherwise, how did this horror s- happen? I fuck right. with the cops on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. <laughs> Here's okay. It's a rant for another day, but um, because I have not seen Brooklyn Nine Nine, I only have my own thoughts and feelings to go off of it. And I think that Brooklyn Nine-Nine came out in a country with a history of um, racially motivated police violence. 
socioeconomically motivated police violence. And I think that a show that made cops into everyday heroes again and kind of glossed over the bad shit that cops do Mm -hmm. during the specific time when that show came out and was popular, I think was um, propaganda. You should see uh, the, the final season. Yeah. After... After uh, Ferg, not Ferguson. Yeah, uh, af- after Floyd. yeah, after 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 the riots and everything, yeah. like three or four of the the main characters like quit quit after they they directly address it. Like the yeah. first episode, it's almost kind of preachy. I, I think but, that is a great thing that shows can learn about growing. But I think that again, George. Floyd was a one catalyst. of the boiling points. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and during the time leading up to that, a lot of shit happened that they could have addressed and did yeah. not. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons I haven't watched the show. Right. I absolutely love the clips. It's, They're funny. Yeah. I love them. But it's, it's I worth just noting, feel weird about it. It's worth noting that um, a big part, like a, a massive plot line in Brooklyn Nine-Nine is Captain Holt. Yeah, yeah his, see, that's why I like the clip so much. His whole thing is that he wants to rework policing, and he's getting all this pushback from the higher-ups. Right. He wants to become captain to change the way policing works in the area because he also knows that it's bad. His whole thing is changing from the inside, which, you know, doesn't always work. Yeah, that's at, another... See, again, this is why this is a rant for another day, exactly. because I feel like I get that. And again, my cousin, a person who I truly admire, um, was a cop and then a detective for a while Mm -hmm. and had some similar beliefs to that, and I still feel really weird about it. Oh, for sure. Especially, you know, just, we can talk about it later. We'll talk about, (laughs) hey, patrons, you've got that to look forward to. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. We are. And uh, you don't know this, but we're going to go ahead and do the next week's episode so we can get your Patreons... Get, get that yeah get that going so on behalf I thought of you were gonna say get that good good that's yeah, what that I was good. thinking by the way real quick real quick although I'll probably fuck it up now Josh actually bet me that I would stumble over oh, saying Keddy Keddy cabin murders fuck and I didn't so you didn't boom nice there yeah, you go good job validation note, job. I am done I'm Ruben I'm wrong and we will talk to you later bye 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 bye